The Sisu Way with Scott McGee, episode 35, with very special guest, Dr. Nicholas Romanoff. The weight of the glass. Once upon a time, a professor walked around on a stage while teaching stress management principles to an auditorium filled with students. As she raised the glass of water, everyone expected they'd be asked the typical glass half empty or glass half full question. Instead, with a smile on her face, the professor asked, how heavy is this glass of water I'm holding? Students shouted out answers ranging from eight ounces to a couple pounds. She replied, from my perspective, the absolute weight of this glass doesn't matter. It all depends on how long I hold it. If I hold it for a minute or two, it's fairly light. If I hold it for an hour straight, its weight might make my arm ache a little. If I hold it for a day straight, my arm will likely cramp up and feel completely numb and paralyzed, forcing me to drop the glass to the floor. In each case, the weight of the glass doesn't change, but the longer I hold it, the heavier it feels to me. As the class shook their heads in an agreement, she continued, your stresses and worries in life are very much like this glass of water. Think about them for a while and nothing happens. Think about them a bit longer and you begin to ache a little. Think about them all day long and you will feel completely numb and paralyzed, incapable of doing anything else until you drop them. Understanding this leads you to a powerful choice in how you deal with not only the nature of things, but gravity. Nature, to be commanded, must be obeyed. This is the Sisu Way, the show about grit, character, gratitude, service, and what it means to choose strength. I am Scott McGee, a mindful warrior on a path of gratitude and service who loves to connect with unconquerable souls. So the moral of that opening story is, yes, it is important to be mindful and aware of our stresses and worries, but also having the understanding of our thought resistance with nature and the source of our stress. And that's that little uh, short story came from uh, Mark and Angel's book, 1000 Little Things Happy, Pe Happy Successful People Do Differently. And uh, more on that with Dr. R coming up. Uh, and part of the reason I shared that story is I've taken a little bit of time off from podcasting. Uh, it's not that my arm couldn't bear the weight of the podcast water. It's that I made the choice to use my arm in other areas of my life that also have glasses full of tasty water. So that quote, nature to be commanded must be obeyed, was by Sir Francis Bacon. And it's a quote that has been rattling around in my brain ever since I picked up on it on Dr. Romanoff's Instagram account. And I started doing a little bit of research because like I do, and I started digging one hole after another. And I started looking at Sir Francis Bacon, who was born in 19, uh, 1561 and died in 1626 and is considered a universal genius who made important contribu contributions in a number of fields. He was a philosopher, statesman, scientist, uh, author, all kinds of stuff. And he came up with this, his famous Baconian method, which I hope is the right way of saying it, which used uh, inductive reasoning to arrive at facts after careful observation of events. This method was influential upon the development of the scientific method in modern science. Thus, he's referred to as the father of the scientific method, by which laws of science are discovered by gathering and analyzing data 
from experiments and observations. So speaking of someone who uses a working model based on facts, my very special guest, Dr. Nicholas Romanoff, whose mission is to advance the science of human movement and make it useful for people. He is committed to empowering people to take greater control of their well-being. And his resume will say that he's a two-time Olympic coach, developer of the pose method, which we were going to talk a lot about. Author, coach, athlete, world-renowned sports scientist with a career spanning over 40 years in numerous countries all over the world, all of which started with very humble beginnings in Russia. And these are all things you guys probably know or can quickly find on the internet. Um, but what you might not quickly find on the internet is that Dr. R had to leave his country after uh, his poor childhood in Siberia's wilderness, his teenage struggles, young achievements, numerous brushes with the opportunity for a quick exit in life, uh, and a strong, I mean, strong dedication to his family and dedication to discovering the truth. And in the words of his wife, Svetlana, he is well-read, well-mannered, a romantic, a gentleman, all self-made, and is eager to be the greatest man he can be. So it is my extreme honor to be able to not only have you on my podcast, but sharing this space with you, uh, especially here in person. So I sincerely thank you. I think you're one of the greatest minds of our time. And... Uh, have a an all-around um, sincere character of heart which is something uh, I, I definitely want to highlight in this in this conversation with you so welcome thank you um, and as I do with uh, this show I usually will hit the guest with some type of awkward not awkward but like unexpected question in the beginning to throw them off especially people that have done a lot of podcasts and interviews. You're probably used to these questions. So I kind of went back and forth with which, what question I wanted to open up with. Um, and I was going to say, ask you like what you identify most as. Um, I'm going to guess maybe a scientist. Yeah. Right? So um, this is kind of a two-parter. And I kind of already know the answer, but I want to talk about what drives you. And then an impossible question is, how do you get people to clear their minds to see beyond what they think they already know? <laughs> it's an um, <clears throat> eternal question. It is, yes, which is why I'm starting with the impossible question first. Mm, the simple answer is a curiosity. A more complex um, answer is it? get to know yourself it's um ancient greeks motto and um <clears throat> another one is um <laughs> all right i see it and another one that to open your perception uh, which is <clears throat> probably most important and most um, valuable thing in life of anyone not only for me it uh, goes beyond one person it uh, goes to everyone but 
who recognize this in life, it's very only few. Uh, so a concept that I was going to save until later on, and what, and I think this is going to come up in a lot of the conversation. It probably echoes, I imagine, in your mind a lot in the the, the concept of Wu Wei and being, um, or if you go to the Zen style of um, Japanese Zen, Mushin, so without mind, and just acting, being not mindless. Well, so Wu Wei is, is, I think it directly translates to like non-doing. Nothing. Do nothing. Yeah, do nothing. It's, it's, so we're going to get into that. It'll come up. And I think we end up messing things up when it comes to dealing <laughs> it's with. It's an interesting concept. <laughs> it is. Yes, we are. Just do nothing, and you're fine. And there we go. <laughs> it's a little deceptive. It is, and it's really hard to do nothing, right? And because we have to define meaning of this, mm-hmm. and uh, then it become clear what meaning of this is become uh, guidance for you. You understand, then uh, do nothing. It's not really do nothing. It's a little bit um, more in terms of whom you have to give yourself to bring you to the kind of jump into the streamline. This do nothing. Life by itself as a material thing or spiritual thing <clears throat> is, a, is a current. It's never stopping current. And this current has many different speeds, velocities. And your scale of catching up with that is where you're jumping into the streamline. Which uh, velocity of streamline you are capable to catch and jump on it. And when you're in this streamline, you're following this, that was do nothing. Means you are into the streamline. You only correcting your way in this streamline to keep your way more straight yeah. <laughs> without going left, right, or down, up. That is it. Do nothing. <laughs> the image I have, and I've talked about this on the podcast, is of a of a like a raging river, and having the ability to be aware of the of the flow and. I'm sure we're going to talk into flow state, but um, I don't necessarily talk about the, the life flow. Well, maybe I am talking about it. So the, the, the rapids are going, there's white water, there's trash in it, and you're rushing, you're trying to keep up with it. And no matter what, you're not necessarily going to keep up with it or be able to slow it down. If you're, unless you're able to sit still, and the image I have, and I've talked about this, is like sitting on like a, almost like a bed of rocks in the river and realizing that you can by being still and doing nothing that you can almost slow down the rapids you can slow down the white water and almost to the point where the water's still and, and then eventually you can clear the water and then you can see stuff floating by acknowledge it and then go back to doing nothing yes because you like a sailor mm-hmm. you're catching wind this is what you do only yeah um, but this is image of wind. It will be water. It 
could be anything what carry on you you know yeah energy uh, has always material um uh, thing which carry on your energy if there is no behind uh, in physics it sounds like that it's <laughs> definition mm. of force for example <laughs> unfortunately most people are not aware of this even in the field of science not but it goes like that if behind the force no material body this force is fiction it's very deep meaning <laughs> it means what we call mm -hmm. force <laughs> it's just a moving material body which carry on the potential or kinetic energy which we're transferring this is the meaning of life yeah you have to have a there has to be some type of thing for the force to act upon. Right. It's a, this is the definition of force. Yeah. It's a magnet for interaction between material bodies. This is the definition of force, not equation, which people confuse the second law of Newton, yeah. F equal mass, time, acceleration. It's, a, it's not definition, it's a description. It's a mathematical description, equation. Okay. So this, this, and again, this is going to keep coming up, I think, and I want to highlight it, and that is that nature, to be commanded, must be obeyed. And where a lot of pain and suffering comes from is when you try to resist that. And generally with your own thoughts. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> lots of people, unfortunately, they, while they grow up and ed educated by the schools or life, uh, they educated in the wrong way. They rely on the kind of own force, own power, mm -hmm. own strength, which is really a silly part. It's it's just lead you in a, in a deceptive, completely direction, because the whole philosophy of any kind, and even religion is always leading you to the very specific thing. It's not you <laughs> who are strong. <laughs> you are strong so much as you believe in something. You see, that is what thing. If you are coming with idea which carry on you, you're strong. It's yep. not you who produces these things. And that deceptive thing which most people um, rely on to uh, uh, create lots of troubles. Yeah, so you have to have a thing, I don't know, if to push off of. Is it, I don't know, and I'm using, <laughs> I'm using push gently because I don't know the proper language to use. All right. But it comes from, like, everyone has a, uh, a why. I don't like particular push-off. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, I, and, I, and I said that knowing that I'm going to get you right there. Okay, so bear with me. I knew it, I knew it. And we'll get into it because, you know, when it comes down to force and and all that stuff. But just understanding, um, limited by my own language here, which, again, I didn't choose. You know, it was a culture that was given to me. Um, but understanding, I think we're talking about understanding someone's why whether it's like man's search for meaning or even Simon's next book, start with why like we all have a thing that uh, we're attached to, to be able to like 
I'm not going to throw a successful punch unless I'm pushing, pushing off of the ground. Maybe. Um, I know. Has the strengths of uh, Galileo Galilei, Giordano Bruno, or any one of these people who were sacrificed lives for something was idea. You see, mm-hmm. this is, it's not, it was not pushed off by themselves, you know. Yeah. They were strong because they were somebody who were de- delivering to us incredible idea, which is way beyond of person, particularly, which yeah. carry on this. You see, yeah. this person is just a carrier of that. And when you realize that role, like uh, uh, Wallace, who was Wallace, right? Known for us, like this brave heart. Yep, yep. He he was strong because he was carrying on the idea of freedom for Scotland. Yeah, it's in political um, realm, but it's the same thing in science. Or, or people whom I mentioned is like Jordan Bruno, Galileo Galilei, and many others who were sacrificed. Like, yeah. but their strength was not in them, but because they were presenting something way beyond of their own personal appearance in this yeah. world. So, um, nature invents, science discovers. Mm-hmm. And it, I would say a little bit miscorrection. <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's called necessity. Ah, uh, yes. All right. So you talked about water and um, wind and so I want to circle back a little bit and talk a little bit about your childhood. Now, um, I should also note for the listeners that prior to you know Dr. R coming on, I talked to Severin for your son for quite some time. Um, and even further, the way this kind of got linked up, I bumped into you guys at Oak Park, uh, formerly CrossFit LA, probably a year ago now. And talked to, uh, through Kenny Kane, our mutual friend um, and, and very good friend, and linked us up and Severn said, oh, okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll hit you up when we're in town and we'll, we'll do a podcast. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I've heard that, okay. And then lo and behold, he actually did. So props to him because for that follow-up, I'm, that's impressive. So then we got to talking and the idea of, of the show wasn't just to talk only about Poe's method, which I'm deeply interested in and I'm going to spend some time on it, but I don't want to spend the entire podcast on it because there's a lot of other podcasts and, and media out there that cover it. So I'm not going to regurgitate stuff. And we were talking about your life and he started mentioning some stuff and I'm like, I need to pull over. I need to start writing all this down. And then he told me about a book that your wife had written, Svetlana Romanoff called to Nick with love. <laughs> And he said a lot of the stories he told me were in it. And so that, as soon as I parked and got home, I ordered it off the internet. And I've been reading it and studying it. And and um, so, and you didn't know this until we sat down and almost started recording. And then you saw the book and you had a, a reaction like, uh-oh, this just got real. Um, so I don't know if you've had... Um, other podcasts where the hosts have read this book as opposed to no. the other books that you've written. Yeah, first time. So, 
I want to provide perspective on that and, and then eventually catch up to uh, Poe's method. And so I'm going to break this down in a few different ways in the way that um, made sense to me. And so one um, beautiful, uh, beautiful book. Um, and a couple of things that really impressed me about it is number one, the amount of stories and detail that your wife was able to write about. And I know certain chapters and stuff were written at different points in time. And you can almost tell like where she's at in life by the way she's writing. But the, the amount of detail and information she knew about you and your childhood and certain things, that was impressive to me. The other thing I think is really cool, and we talked prior to the show, is that she has created, she has written this and, and had the courage to publish it which is fascinating because, and good because, like I said, um, part of the, the the beginning of this show was my father had passed away before passing on uh, information that I could directly share with his grandchildren. So to have this to pass on through generations, I think, is extremely impressive. I agree. Um, so a couple stories I want to share in here, and and I think understanding um, where you came from will help um, understand where we are now and possibly where you're going. Because you don't just, you weren't just born into um, a family of doctors and you follow the path. Um, you came from you know, the wilderness and a village and became, uh, like I said, one of the greatest minds that I've ever met. So we're gonna talk about that. So a couple of gritty stories in here. And one of them, and, and holy smokes, I think I could have a whole episode on your family being exiled to Siberia um, in the 30s, 1931. Now, your grandfather in, had, um, what's the word, ex, ex, um, expropriated, mm -hmm. right? Yes, exactly. So you guys, your family was established and then all of a sudden was not and then exiled to a different country and had to renounce the name, change everything and leave. That is, just that right there, that entire process and journey is something that we could spend a lot of time on. But I wanted to bring it up. And if there's any parts of that, that, that particular part you want to add, because I think that has such an incredible like ripple effect through your entire family. And then not to mention, your mom gave birth to you premature and she didn't even know she was pregnant. Almost. <laughs> right? And then you came out with the amniotic sac still around you like a t-shirt. <laughs> so that's how you got brought into this world. All right. In Siberia. Yes. It's, uh, um, I, I was blessed with many things in my life. And one of the biggest blessings was my wife. And uh, she was a good in investigator. <laughs> She was always digging me in my stories from our first meeting way, way back in 1970. We were together 50 years now. <laughs> and um, we married 47 almost. And uh, <clears throat> we have four kids. This range, like two girls first and two boys, like a couple. Uh, it's a balance, <laughs> and uh, 
she had this idea of writing this book very long time ago. She mentioned for me that like, she wanted to write the story of our family, with her in mind, you know, but mostly it came up on, on me, you know. And um, I, I was a little bit ashamed first that she wanted to put the emphasis on me, like uh, something like, I didn't deserve this much. And she thought, no, no, I, I should tell this story. And, and like, okay, I will not interfere with that. I will help you. And um, I told her many details how it happened. And somehow she got fascinated with all these things. And uh, her kids were scared that mom will be writing about family story. And because some stories looks really uh, unrealistic <laughs> with my travelings and my uh, cases in life where I was always in the boundary of life and death. So they were like, mm, should we say about this to the people? You know, and mom was like... Yes. She's a... Uh, she's a, some like like man who is like yes or no. Yeah. <laughs> when she told yes, it means that's it. Like she yeah, very strong willed. Yeah, she married me like that against will of her parents. Yep. And uh, uh, the rest is <laughs> like that. So she decided to do this book. I thought, okay. And kids were like. Mm and she mm, and Severin was support her and she finished and I was fascinated myself that she did this and because I would never come up with myself with these things um, different kind of yeah. reason for this but she did it and uh, I, I'm incredibly proud that she done it now it's, uh, it doesn't belong mm. to us it belongs already <laughs> to our grandchildren, exactly. grand-grandchildren, and yep. so on. It's now <laughs> inherited things, yep. and I'm happy with that. Uh, and it, it had a big, I mean, I've gone through it probably five times already, just because I needed some moments to really, some heavy moments in there, so... Um, it's not the easy things um, yep. because it's, uh, myself I had difficulty to go through this thing because when it comes back to the past when it was not easy past it's not uh, easy to go through it's painful but it, this is what life is yep um, well I guess I will I don't know if I want to get into that part just yet, um, but to highlight a couple of things in there, besides being born um, premature um, and your family being exiled, a couple other funny stories in there. Um, attacked by seagulls. I like that story. When you were a kid, <laughs> so you're with your grandmother, and you you're like, were you up there getting like seagull eggs? Mm -hmm. And they came back, and you just got. Like bombarded by Mama Seagull? Yeah, it's a big bird. Yeah. <laughs> really big. <laughs> um, it's a cliff, you know? Yeah. And they put the nests over there. And the uh, eggs are big and very tested. So it's a very wild place. It's Kamchatka. 
you, you know, it's a cliff over the ocean. Yeah. It's Achotskoe Mori, it's called. It's a sea, Achotskoe Sea. <laughs> and um, at Bering Stream there nearby, like, it's very vast and wild place. And we uh, lived in a place where it was seafood is was incredibly available everything i ate most delicacies of seafood at that time like with a big spoon yeah, and yeah. caviar and so on but eggs were delicious things you know so my grandma and me uh, it's grandma is my uh, love it's uh, my holy story She's who covered my life in childhood. It's my best friend whom I spend most my time, not with mom, with grandma. And her name is Maria. It's a holy name. <clears throat> I wrote poetry for her that devoted. It was my biggest love in my childhood life. It's not gone. It's still yeah. with me, obviously. Yeah. And my family uses. So at that time, I'm a yeah. small boy, <laughs> really small, because it was like, um, I was three, four years, something like, she goes with me to this cliff, and she said, okay, go ahead. The seagulls left to somewhere hunting <laughs> for um, fish, yeah, yeah. and I'm like, poof, poof, poof. <laughs> there. <laughs> To put the um, eggs here. Yeah, in, in the, like the bottom of your shirt so you can yes, roll them right, up. Right, yeah. right. I'm going there and I got some of them and suddenly they return. And then saw me there and they like, <laughs> pique, like, you, you <laughs> yeah. know, like, boo on you. Like, their size, like my own size. Yeah, of course. I, I was threatened, I mean, I was frightened completely, you know, because cliff, do you understand? It's like really a little bit awkward movement and you down yeah. and below only like sharp rocks and the water coming like waves. And mm, yep. That's it, you know. <laughs> Your choice. I was, I don't remember how I was screaming, grandma screaming definitely. But I made it down, you know, and since that time, I was afraid like hell to go. <laughs> well, yeah, almost died yes. that time. <laughs> right. So you had that one. Uh, what else did I write down here? Um, it's um, on the raft with yes. my... <laughs> yeah, lost at sea on the raft, right? With my ankle. He was like... Uh, older than me, like 12 years, something like that. It's um, uh, it's my mom's younger brother. He was a silly guy. <laughs> it's, again, the guy who I spent my life in childhood. He was brilliant. He was a very good painter, a very good musician. And... Um, he loved me more than anyone else. I saw it through my life. And he decided to give me this adventure on the rough. But you see, like a lake inside, but it's connected with the ocean, yep. with a small bottleneck kind of exit. And we're there going on the rough, but um, you're not tight, goes yep. in and out, and he doesn't know how to swim, and me either. 
and suddenly that tide goes back, you know, it's a stream, yep. and it took us <laughs> straight out of Oh, my gosh. And it's evening time. You understand? Kamchatka. Night comes, boom, like a jump, boom. And there is the ocean, and we see just the, like, uh, um, the, the land, land start start disappearing, you know, like because it's pulling yeah, us out. Yeah, out. Yeah, we were lucky that there was no big waves. It was very quiet, only tight, and like then boom, and everything gone. I mean, we did not see any lights, anything. Dark. Okay, that's, <laughs> and you can't swim. And you're honest. How yeah. how big of a raft was it? Oh. To carry on two boys, you know. Oh my gosh! And the one stick, yep. which was enough to um, stick to the bottom, you know. But it's the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we both start crying, you know, because it's it's end. We, we, That's it. Yeah, we, we know what it's end, you know, because overnight this um, ocean at this time of the year. It's, we were lucky that it was very quiet, you know. Usually it's like waves and that's it, you're done. Water is very cold. You mm. cannot sustain the <laughs> five minutes and you're done. Um, <clears throat> but at that time it was just, I didn't think this way. I, I knew that we're in trouble and my uncle was crying. And I was the second one who started crying. And that's it, we already lost any hope. And then the miracle happened. <laughs> Suddenly, projector, poof, just on us, you know? Like a big beam of, of hope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a fishing boat coming back <laughs> to the oh, land. Man. And the captain, when they picked up us in, on the boat, he told, oh, boys, somebody from you was born in a shirt, you know? <laughs> Oh yeah, and yeah. it was me. I was born like that. Wow! How long were you out there? <laughs> in the ocean? Yeah, maybe a couple of hours only. Oh man, it was cold then, but we were lucky that there was no wave. Wind for some reason, almost like was very quiet. And it just worked out. <laughs> that, <laughs> you time. Call it that time. That <laughs> time. <laughs> yes, I, I got lulai at home. Oh yeah, <laughs> my mom was, <laughs> my my uncle was punished as well. Uh, I do. I, I want to point this out because it, it should also. I mean, I don't know the timing of it all, but in the book, um, your wife had mentioned that your grandmother had lost six of the, her nine kids. Oh, yeah, it was. It's exactly at that time. Um, in 1931, they were. Uh, this expropriation happened. They took uh, my grandma and and grandfather were owners of big land, lots of animals. You know, <laughs> they were lived. My mom mentioned when she told me stories about these things. She told, "Oh, we lived very well. We were very well dressed with white old dresses." with the shoes, which is, for most people, not available at that time. Uh, we had food all day on the table, anything, bread, meat, eggs. You see, this is what, and it's 
created lots of um, anger of people who were poor. And somebody wrote, like, these snitches mm-hmm. <laughs> without name, that my grandma came back from the Civil War with the gold he is hiding in his house. You see? And that was one of the reasons, too, that soldiers came and confiscated everything, put the whole family in a wagon and sent to Siberia on the border of China, like a deserted place completely. And it was so bad that eight kilometers you need to go every day someone to bring drinking water oh to the gosh. camp. You see? And my mom was one of them who was carrying on this. And during this time, from nine kids, uh, my, my grandparents lost six. And then my um, uncle, aunt, and my mom only survived this. That is just... I can't even begin to understand what that must have been like. Well, <laughs> I tried not to. Yeah, yeah. I cannot... Forgive this for my government. That yeah, I, was ma- I, I hate this. This time, these people. I wanted to go to this village where the, my grandparents live, but I'm afraid to go there because I would hate these people because their ancestors, their, yeah, <laughs> their, their kids, they're still there. Do you understand? So and, did, a, did a certain family, because I know the government soldiers showed up, but then did a particular family, like somebody else, move in and take over? It it's, was a very good house. It's used as an office for the local government. It's still, this house, yeah. still there. It's so good that still a local government office. What a shame. Um, the, uh, to put it lightly. Yes, and that's why I'm afraid to go there because yeah. my anger would be probably not controllable there because I would see these things and these people, that past people, they dead already, of course, but their kids, it's there. And I don't want to expose my anger on them yeah. because they're probably not guilty with that, obviously, yeah. you know. Yeah. But that the, the, the impact is... Um, multi-generational obviously oh, right right but you, who's this i mean you might not well you can't go back in time and just pick apart everything but you, i mean you probably wouldn't be here yes i was thinking about this many times yeah <laughs> because in this you know how not here here like at my house but i'm saying just like right in life i i wouldn't be i would still be romanov but it would be not my father. It's kind of a line, you know. Did they, but did they have to change their name? Like no, what? no. Okay. I, I still keeping name of my grandfather. My mom didn't want to change name. I only took patronymic or middle name of my father, Stefanovich. <laughs> my father was Stefan. Okay. Oh, wow. That's... Again, like I said, we could spend all the entire podcast talking about that. Um, but to think that you had you were lost at sea, you were born premature, uh, attacked by seagulls because you're stealing their eggs, so you can <laughs> make like a, <laughs> a really yummy uh, omelet. Yeah. Um, 
But it seems like, at least the ones, the stories I read, you also, when you were five years old, fell in ice water. Oh. <laughs> and I that, still have consequence of this. Yes, and that scene, reading my perception of reading that, that, that particular story, I could be wrong here, but I felt like that kind of launched like some interest into physical movement. Mm, oh. <laughs> Well, <laughs> it's and lack thereof. <laughs> it it was a silly situation again. You know, we moved to Siberia. It's in nearby the um, Lake Baikal. It's uh, probably everyone knows it's the biggest and deepest um, and cleanest uh, lake in in Russia. We lived on a small village. And the name is uh, completely trivial and silly. It's called Muhino. It's like a. a Fly, it's it's name fly. <laughs> the lake is no the village. Oh, the village, the village. Got you. The name of the village is fly. You know, oh, Muhino wow. <laughs> in Russian. <laughs> I mean, are really, there flies there? Yes, at at summertime. Okay, summertime in Siberia could be as hot as in Texas. Yuck. Yeah, uh, absolutely. But yeah. it's short time. Yeah, you you're getting a window of this kind of. Um, weather it's like June, July, in August already start <laughs> autumn coming, and September, October it's already um, sometimes snow goes down. You know? But we have to do harvest very quickly at the end of August, September. Lots of berries there. Oh, the taiga, this um, place is incredibly rich with that kind of hmm. um, different berries, you know, uh, nuts, and lots of um, f- uh, birds. It's kurapatka called. Very tasty, very fat <laughs> meat. Ah, good. Yeah, my uh, uncle had a carbine, very short. It's cavalry carbine, it's called, like, not long, but this one, you know, like... Carabin, it's a, a sh- like one-time shot, but you have to uh, recharge these things like mm. that. And we would go to the tiger. Like a musket? Shotgun? Yes, yeah, shotgun. But it's a uh, type of um, rifle, you know, okay. like a Winchester. Really. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, and the bullets like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, we're coming to this place, and so many birds there. You're like... Bam, like this. They like, phew, he like, not even aiming. Boom, and this, yeah. somebody will be down. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, this story shot. Before Christmas, uh, silly groups of um, teenagers and very young fellows like me decided to go across the river to the taiga and got a Christmas tree. It was no big deal, usually, you know. Yeah. You just cross the river, cut the tree, and bring it back, and the Christmas tree is yeah. ready. <laughs> on, but on the way back, this is what happened, you know. I fell into the fishing fall, um, uh, hole. You know how the fishes yeah. like, uh, do this hole, small hole, mm-hmm. in, and then fishing there with a small... this. Yeah. Uh, what it's called? Like a fishing pole? Like yeah, a, yeah like, a but very small, like yeah. this. And uh, it didn't close with the ice. It was very fresh, and it was like covered with the snow only. And I stepped on it, mm. and boom. 
And I was lucky that I put my elbows out. Otherwise, that's it. My life was would be over because the river was a very high stream there. Uh, it will be no, I will be lost there. But my elbows out saved me. I was hanging this while water was pulling me out. And it was uh, almost uh, 30 degrees minus Celsius time. It's like 500 meters only to the village where we are. The boys are scared like hell, pulled me out. I couldn't walk because they immediately frozen everything. And they drug me on that tree. <laughs> they put <laughs> me I gotta on. bring the tree back. <laughs> <laughs> and pulled this, uh, I couldn't walk. 500 meters, they got me home, put me on the, uh, this big Russian uh, stove, you know, and, and the, recovering me from this cold. But consequences were, unfortunately, very quickly. In a week or maybe two, I got rheumatism. Of incredible, strong, unbearable. <laughs> like my old joints become stiff. I couldn't stretch them. And it's not only that, it was painful. I was crying. I don't remember this much, but my grandma always telling me, oh, my God, you, was, you were crying all night from this pain, you know. <laughs> and we couldn't go to the local central of this region city to the hospital because all roads were closed because snow was so heavy no one could go through. You see, transport didn't work. We didn't have helicopters, <laughs> so I'm joking now. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. until April, we were waiting when roads were cleaned up. And that, my mom took me on the, uh, on the truck to this city. When you, went, when you got to the truck to go to the city to get some help, how long had passed? Oh, I don't remember much. It was not far away, but it's maybe a couple, three hours to to the city. But still, it was, it was, was it, had weeks passed or months before you ended up going? Or was it no, right, it's right months. After? Months. From, gotcha. from December yep. to the April. Okay. This is what. But I was lucky again. I came to this hospital. And there was a very famous doctor who took me. Well, first of all, in the book, it mentions that like, you barely even made it there. <laughs> oh, it's another story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when we're crossing Angara, Angara is the biggest, Angara is which goes um, into the Baikal, one single river. <laughs> yeah, you barely made it across the river. Had you left 10 minutes uh, later, you wouldn't have made it. It's correct. But the scene is like that. We came to the river. And uh, our, we have to pass through the um, icing, um, uh, through the ice, because yeah. it's still covered. The yeah, river. Tr the truck has to drive through. It's correct, right. But um, it, we already got cold, not weird, but the um, management team there who controlling this passing road, they told, Angara is open, and uh, ice move, start moving down the river. We stop. We have to stop traffic. It means we have to wait another week just there, you know? Oh, my gosh. So our driver was a young fellow, very obnoxious guy. Yeah. <laughs> he told something like, in English, like, fuck it. Yeah. 
and told my mom, Mother, get in the car. We're going. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and she like and my uncle again was with me, you know? Yeah. He was on uh, on the truck. <laughs> I was my, the driver told open the door to my mom. Both he and and he's with this papyrus in his uh, um, lips, like yeah. on the side, you know, it's very cute. <laughs> he was standing on, on um, one leg on the um, uh, step of the car, another one on the gas. <laughs> door was open, and outside door open was too, and mom sitting on the edge, because oh. if we would go to the, uh, under the ice, we have to jump out. Oh my gosh. So we we are reaching mid river. It's a very long wide river like probably kilometer or two, you know, I don't remember right now. And we're coming and suddenly we on the on the opposite side where we're going, people start like this and doing we don't hear but they and they poo, poo, shooting from the rifles to show us that like we, don't do it yeah, but we in the middle You're basically surfing or kayaking <laughs> like stand up paddle boarding a car oh my goodness it was like my mom, I saw my mom's face she was completely out of conscience basically she was frightened and I hear my uncle again crying <laughs> <laughs> and this guy no words and like <laughs> you know like this only yeah. he is, was like 18 or 19 years old boy but obviously he looked for me very old you yeah. know but later on and his name is was freaking like Sergei Lihoy it's like Sergei Brave you know <laughs> <laughs> we so are like, the brave. Yeah. We just like boom on the bank, you know, jump on this and behind us, bam. All the uh, ice was like cracking. Oh man. And again, one guy coming to us and telling, hey, who is born here with a shot? Yeah. <laughs> you know? You're like me. <laughs> My mom told <laughs> And the the driver, uh, I never uh, forget this, I remember this. He, it's uh, the um, local shop, a small uh, grocery store. <laughs> the, the guy, n no one word to us, just break car, um, put it in place, and walk to this uh, shop, got the bottle of vodka. In front of us, like, what, like this, you see, that boom, opening like that. <laughs> like smack the bottle open? <laughs> like this. And um, the cover was out and start drinking. <laughs> <laughs> it was yeah, hilarious. But, but Sergei the Brave saved your life probably, right? Right. Absolutely. And he got no drunk condition even after that. Stress was so incredible. But he delivered us to the hospital, <laughs> and uh, in three days, doctors put me back on my legs because I couldn't walk before. Oh my gosh! So then you're at the hospital for three days, and they got you standing again. Mm -hmm. And I start learning how to walk again. So severe it was. And then, I mean, you said, "What are the lasting effects from it?" 
Is there any last like? Oh, right now when I am in the cold weather with um, wind, wet, my joints start aching. Wow. And that's why Miami is a perfect place for me. Yeah, nice and warm. Yeah. yeah. Severin knows this very long time. And any time when he's checking air conditioning, you know, nearby me, he knows it affects me. So he was choosing for me in the restaurant place where no wind like that. <laughs> oh, wow. In the hotel when so, we're staying, he's turning off <laughs> air conditioning when we're sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> because he doesn't want <laughs> this effect on Aww, so nice yeah he's very caring so, you know. does he ever get mad and it's kind of like well, I'm going to set the air conditioning to 62 <laughs> no <laughs> you know <laughs> he very good boy and he never does this kind of thing he always trying to put any restrictions to which would affect me Oh, like closing he's checking weather where we're going you know <laughs> yep you know uh, uh a little bit of a side topic here you know i have young kids and myself seven and um, four years old and i'm sensitive now when i meet people like good people such as yourself and and especially um, <laughs> thank you and, and severin that i think and I, and I want to give credit to parents because you did something right with him. He's a really he's a good human. Thank you. So as a father, I think that's something that you should be really proud of. And it sounds like you are, but I want to point that from an outsider's perspective. All you need is love. All you need is love. Yep. All you need is love. All you need is love. This is the only thing. Uh, obviously, he is very, very smart and very genuine. He is like mom. My wife is one of the wonders. In the, she cannot lie. Do you understand? Like she cannot lie. I, I, uh, <laughs> when <laughs> first yeah. time I was facing this reality, I'm like, "Why are you telling this?" She's like. It's a truth. I'm like, yes, but it's hurting truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you have to appreciate that because the truth is a truth, and then you are the one that wants to attach a feeling to it. Right, but uh, I'm more politically correct in this yeah. case. <laughs> I learned through life it's like not all true truth could be very useful. You know, very interesting political. Uh, figure in the history, Cardinal Richelieu. It's a, it's a, one of the heroes of the Three Musketeers. You remember this uh, mm. Dumas novel? It's a real person. And one of his quotes was strike me uh, from first time I read this book <laughs> and about his life, you know. And one of the quotes I was referring to people when I talked about it. He told, never lie. But avoid the answer if truth is dangerous. Yeah, well, I guess avoiding isn't necessarily lying. Right. <laughs> but how you deliver it also is an art form, right? You still, there's ways of communicating that doesn't have to be blunt. You never should tell people that they are stupid, for example, right? That they are silly. You have to convert in the more like, oh, you are not enough informed. <laughs> yes. Like 
Do you feel that way when people are resisting? Well, the, a lot. Yeah. I, I, and I want to get, get into that. That's kind of the, to go back to that opening question, but I'm going to put it on pause for a second because there's other, another story that I want to share that Severin was telling me about that really piqued my interest because if you've had all these opportunities to exit life and all these things, and then he starts telling me that you're riding trains. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, he's riding trains, like on top of them? Yeah. He's like, yep. That's how, like, for fun, for, like money, travel, I mean. Yeah, I grew up in very <clears throat> humble uh, condition. <laughs> And um, I stay in the city. I lived in the city where we didn't have a swimming pool <laughs> or river or lake, but we want to have this kind of luxury during summertime. Yep. So the closest um, river uh, from us was a four hours train <laughs> riding. So we took this as a <clears throat> uh, invitation for extend our <laughs> curiosity. So, because our city was a, a, a cross section of big railway station, very big, mm. but city small and I call it small little shitty city. <laughs> but it's I still remember this city with all my heart. And my gratefulness because I got everything what I know, like foundation of any kind of in this city. When I extend myself yeah. to the world, nothing new really came. <laughs> I already knew everything. You, you see, this is what that city gave me. But at that time, it gave me possibility to go to swim somewhere. <laughs> because we were nothing any obligations of saying we developed we had the people who could um, craft uh, some keys for the wagons uh, you know and so on so when uh, in the morning all a train would go east to the river mm. side and at the city where we are swimming on um, evening, all uh, train go west to our city back. So we jump in the morning on this uh, on the roof. We had keys. If any rain or things, we could jump, open doors, and get inside. How'd you guys get the keys? Uh, I told you some people over oh, there, yeah, yeah. like craftsmen, yep, yep, they yep. would do this for us. Yep. I had different kind of yep, keys. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's cool. I feel like criminal yeah <laughs> so we would jump on the train in the morning 7 7 30 it's nice on the roof it was no electricity at that time so it was a tip levels it's like um, uh, steam machines you know mm. so it was not dangerous we would jump around on the <laughs> on the roof i have pictures i have to find in my files these pictures and put them in the book like that yeah, that is. <laughs> I grew up um, out here in Los Angeles in, in Santa Monica, and the closest thing I ever did to that was I would get around the city on rollerblades by holding on to buses and cars, right? It just yeah, I know. Right, it's like a, it's like some 
I don't know if it's like a boy thing, being early, like a, being able to expand your world and travel and move from A to B. I don't know. We, we did this in the wintertime behind the bus. Yeah. <laughs> Sliding. <laughs> oh, on the, on the ice? Yeah. You would slide? No, you see, it's on, on the road. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. A snow, but it's a very um, uh, rough uh, oh, surface, yeah. you know, very uh, like sliding. But we had the very specific um, um, sh shoes. Yeah. We bought them, we put ice on it, you know? Yeah. And it was like a skating. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yes. I'm going to try that next time I'm like <laughs> okay. it's up a, in Lake Tahoe or something. It works. You yeah. Know. <laughs> so then, um, and is a whole, and again, the, the challenge I'm having here, especially for uh, for you, but for, for the listeners, uh, there's a lot of topics here and it's hard to cover everything that I want to cover in one episode. So some of the stuff I'm going to have to breeze through. Um, like you have, uh, uh, college was a pivotal part of your life. Um, and do you, do you remember what, like, I don't know if necessarily in college, but when specifically do you remember when you realized you had a very curious driven mind like, yeah so I, i have a very vivid feeling and uh, memory about these things until i finished school i had no idea whom i will be in this direction no just blank you know because from one side i was a good student uh, I, I, study for me was easy uh, and more than this i enjoy it So I was one of the best students in the school, but um, at that time suddenly came love for my life, you know, it's a high jumping. It came back from nowhere, basically. Suddenly I felt, I did cross-country ski, but I was lousy. <laughs> um, coaches in this um, uh, school called me, This guy who is uh, good jumping, you know, has ability. That's it. But it's cross-country ski. Yeah. I was the last one. I didn't have the two marks or something. And I was not driven to go through this distance. Uh, I had only pleasure when I was going on the forest and whole day spent on the, on the ski there through alleys, you know. Yeah. But not racing. When... Uh, High jumping came, and I started training myself because no coaches, no anything. I was doing this in my high school gym because my teacher knew this love, and he gave me key from the gym. I would go there nine o'clock at the evening time when nobody's there, open gym, put mats, very heavy <laughs> cotton mats. <laughs> bar and jump myself nobody guide me anything I was just to jump until 11 you know then put mat back close the gym go home and that was an incredible fascinating time for me and suddenly I, I felt this is what I need to do I would go by the street and jump to anything what uh, on high the high touch high subject like mm -hmm. leaves branches whatever is you can jump to <laughs> i was like a madman in this case um by the end of the 
when I was supposed to go through the finish my school, I won <laughs> and set up records of the school, of the city. It's still there from 1968. It's still there. I came several years ago and my records, name, my name there, it's records in long jump, high jump, it's still mine. Oh, and wow. a record of the city. At that, just just on the records, um, and and I don't remember the name of it. The style of it. It was a straddle. It's a straddle. It's Western. Okay. <laughs> so just for the style of jumping over. It's the a, first bear flop didn't exist at that. <laughs> it's only first bear. It started jumping at this time. First bear won in 1968. Uh, I I saw it. I knew about this only through TV. So you just just for the for the listeners, you would you would run and jump and lift your legs over. Right, right. That it's not the high jump that people are thinking about. Uh, and what's the guy's name that invented it? Fosbury. Fosbury. Yes. Okay. Um, Fosbury back flip. You know. Yeah, that's so, so. When people now when they think about high jump, that's that's what yes, the but, image. But that's my point. I want to make. But before that, this was uh, four different different techniques. You know. Yeah. Scissors, for example, waves, you know, it's called Eastern, uh, Horain is what uh, straddle, you know, this is. Yeah, so that's why I just wanted to, to make that clear so people aren't picturing you basically backflipping over the bar. You're actually jumping and lifting your feet. Yeah, so you land on the sand, not on the uh, soft bit yeah. <laughs> mat. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't have this luxury. So you're doing that and then it. Do you start seeking like ways to get better at it and yeah. studying? Okay, it's become um, almost like fanatic things. I didn't think about anything. It's defined where I went to university. <laughs> it's my sport. What moved me there? Not any some kind of desire to be a, a scientist. <laughs> On the first and second year of university, my mind was crystallized and formed yes i i i understood i will be scientist in the exercise physiology sport biomechanics it's become clear for me that's awesome <laughs> um did that help you in your high jump oh absolutely absolutely at um, 1977 I already was a, a university teacher and I was looking for method and a technique. I didn't know that it's all interrelated things. And during this study, what I did, I found this. And when Poe's method came in 1977, my jump went to another level completely, immediately. I put new PRs and I was 26 years old, you see. My injuries, what I had from previous jumping, fanatic jumping, disappeared. My knee stopped hurting, and I extend my career from this for 10 more years. And I did my last PR, I was 33 years old. I, had, I already was a head coach. Um, my PhD was finishing. <laughs> um, I had two kids, <laughs> and oh. I had my best jump. So something, something that um, your wife highlighted in the book is that 
you were very, and it's completely clear and makes sense, but driven by your love to uh, books and reading and sports. Right. Um, another thing to, to, I wanted to highlight is you're in college and most, most students I would assume are just reading the books they have to read, but you are also reading the books that the uh, professors were reading and then also working on articles with the professors. Right. Which, which, you know, as a student is pretty fascinating to me. Uh, it's, uh, it was fascinating and, um, not every... A teacher was accepting this um, well. Let's say like that. Only yeah. few. I, I was I was blessed again that I had these teachers. Mm -hmm. But some were scared that when like second year student comes up and <laughs> start talking with this, some avoid to talk about it because the depth of the subject uh, is uh, something what could limitation put into the conversation. And because I studied beyond of the course of exercise physiology, I study already on the medical books, um, physiology, it allows me to see problem in a different way. And in a way of start arguing, even not as discussing, but this is how teachers accept this, like perceive, like it's arguing, you know? Yep. And this is clash. So I understood earlier that it could be painful. <laughs> and again, I don't want to derail the flow just yet, but one, I don't want to avoid this question, but do you remember the moment where you're like an aha moment when you realized the importance of gravity? Yes, of course. Oh, 1977. <laughs> I studied over the physics, obviously, because the answer was... Uh, uh, the only question was like how gravity works. You know, I found pose method first, pose. But gravity as a working horse came later because um, I was like, why pose? This is what question was begging me in my head because it was not clear how we're moving really because my knowledge already at that time about muscular work uh, was uh, telling me that it's not the uh, horse of movement. It's uh, lying, you know. It, it's a deceptive thing what people believe in. Uh, muscles do not move us because it goes against the mechanics laws, you know, because in mechanics, uh, defining movement goes like that. Uh, material body could be moved from point A to point B by only external force. By definition, muscles are internal force and they cannot move us. You see, that clash happened and I was start looking for who the hell moving us, you know. I knew gravity works and I put in my that um, notion of pose method, but how to move, it was not clear. It was a heresy at that time. So I avoided to any speculation because I didn't have answer. So I told, okay, gravity works there, but not how. This is what was my, um, uh, at that time, kind of um, decision to, about these things when I didn't know exactly how it works. I'm just picturing um, uh, an astronaut floating in space without gravity and moving around using their muscles, but they're not going no. anywhere. They can pose all day. <laughs> right. But you see, at that time, this knowledge already existed. And I put in the notion, this thing, and I'm like, 
okay, guys, if there is no carrier, <laughs> how the hell are you moving? <laughs> yeah, wow. All right, we're going to come back to this because I want to I talk about an important leap that you guys took. So you're going through college and become um, a well-respected professor, right, and head of the sports department in your university. Yeah, the sport discipline is called. Yep. It's a discipline that means uh, track and field, swimming, gymnastics, um, uh, cross-country ski, this kind of things, so, uh, all related with the sport events. And, and you guys are, you and your wife, um, starting a family. And I'm, I want to fast forward a little bit because um, I don't remember specifically how many of your kids did you have before you guys came um, to the United States? Was it all of them? All of them? Okay. Yes. So, last one was think, s three months old. Yeah, okay. The baby. Yes, mm -hmm. I do remember that. So, you have a family of four kids and a three month old baby. Um, and your firstborn daughter is in the United States in mm -hmm. Miami. Right. You guys are still at that time um, in Russia. Is that the word? Is it? Yes. Is it Soviet Union, Russia? Soviet Union. Yeah. So, I want to. This particular thing was very fascinating to me, and I want everyone to kind of picture this. So you, she's going to get married, your, your eldest daughter, and you guys go from uh, a two-week trip. Vacation. Yeah, a little vacation. Supposed to be. And end up staying in the United States. To me, that, like, just, I want everyone to think about that. Imagine you go on a trip, a little vacation somewhere, and you're like, yeah, uh, we're going to stay here now. And, uh, uh, and, and you were 40... 43-ish years old? 41. Okay, 41 years old. Just talk to me a little bit about that. <laughs> Because it seems like uh, it's a paradox, like an easy choice, but a very obviously difficult no, one. No, never was an easy choice. A decision which led us into the uncertainty, complete uncertainty. Where we are, what we are, It, we drop everything all past. We didn't bring anything with us, even our papers. We had only passports. It was incredible, heavy, and um, a burden decision, you know, because we have to make um, like cut off. Do you understand? It's yes. like yeah. no way to go. It's like no point of return. We too. University teachers, not only we both um, head of the departments. My wife was a philologist; she's an English philology PhD and the head of the department in university, and uh, me too. So, uh, <laughs> and um, <clears throat> we we have to make a decision to drop our past, our job, everything. And we kind of like have to make a decision for what purpose, what is sacrificing for. Do we have any benefits from this kind of like that? It was scary. And uh, we had no any friends, any colleagues in the United States, uh, obviously no relatives <laughs> except our daughter. <laughs> so... It's uh, 
Who, whose idea was it to fir- to first pose, pun intended, the question on staying? Like, how did they? Our daughters, up? not me and my wife. We didn't plan. We didn't have any idea of this. We, we wanted. I was like, hey, we should stay here forever. And <laughs> it, it's our kids, and uh, my former son-in-law uh, kind of told, "Why you need to go back?" Your family is here, and you can start your life is here. This was a kind of notion we were put on, and it didn't look like attractive journey for me and Svetlana, <laughs> because we have to drop everything. We were touching this world. What was value? And meaning of life for us at that time. I never would think that I could find something equal to what I'd done in university at that time. I, that I, it was blurry completely. How long did you marinate on that decision? Uh, we didn't have much time, you know, because our visas were expired and we have to make a decision and start new process of uh, immigration. They get working visa, you know, this is what uh, was, so it was like about one week, we have to make a decision. Uh, I called back to my university and asked them, could they give me um, a living, not vacation, but kind of, uh, to like write a, another science like a, work. Like a leave of absence? Type? Yes, yes, okay. right, but for the purpose of doing science work. I was lying a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, of course. They didn't give me. But my wife got this. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> that's it, you know. Then we are going to the lawyer and uh, and start application for the working visa. And, and at that time, you were staying in your uh, your your former son-in-law's in, yes. home in in Miami. Not it's Fort Lauderdale, West Los Angeles. <laughs> I don't remember. That. Yeah. How do you feel about the decision? Uncertain. Like still. Not, n- not now. I think uh, from this point of view, no matter how much uh, experience we went through, negative, painful, it was still, we think, both Svetlana and me, we think it was the right decision. It was for the sake of my kids first. It was sacrificing. I told, okay, I will work with whatever it's necessary to do. And I did like... I did work on um, like a, um, buildings, uh, like a worker, constructing worker for a while. And then I did work with the lawns. Yeah, you're mowing lawns. Yeah. So, so, but here you are, and, and at that point in time, you already had your, your PhD, <laughs> a well-established, like extremely brilliant mind, and you're mowing lawns. Yeah. It was a little bit bothering. Yeah. <laughs> but not only that, but you were working so hard. Um, I even read that you were working like so hard and so many different things that you end up in the hospital. Three times. Three times. 
and doctors didn't know what happened to me because they checked me and they couldn't find any vital damaging things. They didn't know what is it. I knew. It, it was over-exhausting things. <laughs> um, oh, I imagine, I imagine, besides the, the physical exhaustion, you know, it's probably well, a lot It's of not the, only physical, it's... Yeah, internal, uh, a lot yeah. of internal, like stress, emotions, like... I can, it's... Um, that, that must have taken, like, just not, not the working so hard you end up in the hospital, but just, you know, being the head of the family and uh, having the courage to make that decision. Um, in this case, um, uh, the man of the family was Svetlana. Well, good for her. No, I, I, well, I, I say man. I, I, I'm attaching like um, stuff, but doesn't I mean what? What exactly does man and the family mean? That, that's a cultural thing. She's strong. She's yeah. much stronger than me. It's a, I don't get shy or shame yeah. to admitting these things. My wife has a power. <laughs> this is what. <laughs> How do the kids feel about it? Oh, they sometimes <laughs> they get cranky. <laughs> well, obviously the baby uh, and the baby uh, was it Nikki? Yeah, he's okay. twenty six now. <laughs> And then Severin was seven? Six. That's close. Severin was a very brilliant boy from the beginning. He was so culturally advanced. And we, like, mom and me were like, how the hell he getting this? <laughs> you know? yeah. Even we were both very well-educated people. <laughs> but he was... <laughs> Even yeah. more, like uh, teachers from the preschool would ask us, oh, my goodness, we're so happy to have such a child in our group who talks so literally, like uh, with such a high level uh, language spoken very soft and very polite <laughs> with us. We understand from whom it's come. Mom was telling, no. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know ourselves where it's coming from. <laughs> I, I I liked how uh, she had written about um, how you guys always expected to have a, a boy named Severin. Oh, it's a, that. And then you have a, the first daughter. Yeah, uh, Marianne. Mariana. And then Lana. She's Svetlana. I call you. you know, names of my wife yeah. and then um, our youngest one my wife gave me favor too <laughs> yeah okay here you go here you get that one uh, when Lana was born I couldn't find any name what I would be satisfactory for my daughter I told no I love one name Svetlana and we call her so we have <laughs> two Svetlanas two Nikos in our family I think it's cute. Yes, it was interesting, helpful sometimes, you know. <laughs> um, also, the, throughout your career, especially when you had um, your your kids, uh, you are are a workhorse of a human, like studying, also obviously working yourself so hard you end up in the hospital. Um, but your dedication to your craft and, and 
constant pursuit of the underlying truth of things and being a coach, um, traveling the world that you, you didn't necessarily abandon, um, your partnership in raising your kids, like you being a father and taking your kids along was a very important factor. It's one of the most, because I grew, I grew up without a father and that luck of these things was staying with me and I wanted to give it to my kids. It's one of the biggest driving forces in my life as well. And I think that they will, well, uh, some of them have kids now, right? You, do you have grandkids? Yes, two. So I'm thinking back, and, and I, I didn't realize this at the time, but as you're raising your kids and how you are as a parent has, again, ripple effects through generations. And the way my parents treated me and the way my dad was there for me, especially like say in sports, um, that now with kids of my own doing that, I'll have moments like aha moments where all of a sudden I'm like, I'm so grateful for my dad because it taught me now how to be a parent. And it hits me in certain moments, like just random moments. It hit me. I'm like, that's why and how lucky I was to have that in my life because now I'm doing that for my kids and now hopefully I'm modeling that way for his kids. And so it just kind of passes down. And so, and, and I think, and I want to highlight that you just, how awesome that is because you didn't have that and you put a stake down and you, you made a decision to do that. So these little things like, yeah, like the pose method is amazing, right? We'll get into that. <laughs> yes, it is. It's but, a, it's a child as well. Yeah. But we, you're um, completely doing awesome um, as that. And I imagine that there's tons, like I have two kids and that is really difficult. <laughs> a lot of high energy. My house is like a WWE event, <laughs> like Monday Night Raw sometimes in there, but let alone having four kids. And what was the age difference between the oldest and the youngest? There's a decent gap, right? Yes. It's, uh, it's happened that... Um, when two girls were born, we were involved with Svetlana and me. We were kind of working our PhDs. And that time when they were already grown up, we were finishing these things, you know. And suddenly Svetlana and me were kind of a little bit free <laughs> to next step. And Severin came up with like, mom was already PhD. I finished my already dissertation and I was on the process of going through the defense soon. And it, it, it was kind of temporary vacation. Yeah. <laughs> and we use it wisely. <laughs> By the way, props to your, your wife for uh, typing up your dissertation three different times oh. on a typewriter. <laughs> I, would, I wouldn't handle this myself. Uh, first of all, it should be very good language, and my wife is brilliant with that. She's a linguist by nature, not by uh, educational like uh, degrees, no, by nature. She's so literate. She's in English, absolutely. She's correcting here most, most people, like, hey, they, these university professors have, have no grammar knowledge proper. And she studied 
English comparison of Australian, Canadian, American and Great Britain. Your dissertation is uh, distinguishing yeah. what is it different between English English. And I did this for her mathematical um, uh, analysis for and it's a very interesting conclusion, very unique dissertation. So she she was a typing machine at that time. Do you, do you understand? Yeah, it's yeah. not computer. <laughs> no, I'm a typewriter. You make mistake, go back again. <laughs> Put mm. another five pages <laughs> and start crying. She did, oh my God, I, I would kill myself by that time, you know, because my patience will be over. And because of her, uh, my life was saved. <laughs> and plus it was a most literally um, com compound um, uh, dissertation. There was no mistakes, there, no grammar, no uh, syntaxes on anything. Do you understand? Yep. People who are checking this before you going through um, uh, defense, they found nothing over there to correct, you know. She's uh, obviously, uh, you said she's your best friend and, and certainly uh, MVP of a lot of parts of your life, right? And especially coming from, and again, to go back to uh, being in a village, your family essentially losing everything and fast forwarding all the way up to the point where your desire, what did she put? She said that you wanted to be a real hero and a noble guy. And yeah, this is something, and then she, but she's highlighting, and I'm like, I'm still like blown away by um, her articulation. And plus, obviously, she, she's a more of an English expert than I am, even though it's the only language I speak, and and was born with. Um, which, by the way, I thought was pretty fascinating to be in in Russia and then choosing English to be the. She is the Angloman. She's a, she loves England. Well, that explains it. Um, so you guys are in, uh, let's go back into, in Florida and you start working through, um, your lawnmower jobs in the hospitals. And then you start linking up with some triathletes. Yeah. It was an accident. All right. Complete accident. It's, <laughs> so <laughs> this is the, um, what year is about this? 93. Okay. And so at that point in time, you had already like the, you already had pose method. Yeah, of course. Right. And so it's not like, how, for, for, do you have just like a, it's not, not, um, um, God, what's the word I'm looking for? See English. Like when you're driving around and you see, see somebody just completely heel striking, <laughs> just, <laughs> is it frustrating? I mean, it's, it is for me. I became like, it's like a, like a, like a, like a, I don't know, four foot striking snob, you know, like I look around my like, ah, heel strikers, even someone, even someone like at the level of, um, high level, high level fitness and much faster than me. And, uh, like someone like Sam Briggs, who's been kicking butt in CrossFit for so long. And she's heard her nickname is engine and she's a heel striker. Yeah. This is many confusing points. I know, I know. I'm worried, and I actually have questions about dealing with that, but that was just a, a quick little thing if, or just kind of shake your head. like, Or how does people even argue for it? 
A lot of questions here. Yeah. I just let's just blame Bill Bowerman and then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a controversy of this figure. Yep. It's en enormous because, um, with all my respect to this guy as an entrepreneur, he was an incredible entrepreneur. He was a very curious man, and he was a very good coach, inspirator. But his vision of technique was very poor. Yep. And, and for, for the, the joke is coming from, he's a uh, founder of, co-founder of Nike. Yeah. And making jokes about um, changing up the shoe to being a cushiony heel and, and uh, the, the, the concept of increasing your stride to increase speed. It was a wrong idea. Completely wrong, biomechanically speaking. But he was a very good seller. And he sailed successfully. It's a, it's an incredibly lucky coincide time was when people were waking up for this, and everybody went into that. No matter, and cushioning was seemingly a solving problem, which is opposite. It was develop more problems than it was before even. <clears throat> but. Uh, this wedge shoes was a very good selling point for people. But I keep, uh, like, I wonder, like, why did it have to be so cushioned? Like, couldn't they just make normal shoes and then sell those? You know, like, what? Yeah, that's it. And is it uh, or a good question? Uh, the cushioning came as a solution of uh, preventing injuries. It was the wrong idea, but uh, and deceptive idea, but well um, accepted by majority of uh, buyers, because uh, because of the deceptive nature of this idea, it was accepted by majority of running field when you have no. Um, solution for the technique. You don't know what technique is because uh, Bauman blessed ignorance in this field. In his 1967 classic book, Jogging, he wrote, it's not about how you run, it's about that you run. And in running, the scale of running makes no much sense than running itself. That is was blessing of ignorance. But at the same time, he, he was the author of that trend, which jogging. He brought this virus from New Zealand in 1962. He traveled there to see what the hell going on there. He was a curious man. And he made this long trip to see in Auckland himself that uh, trend, this development. Yeah. I want to, I'm pulling this up here, pulling up some of my notes, but Pose became um, clear to you in the 70s. 1977, exactly. It's a, a, a year of my second daughter birthday. <laughs> Do you remember the like it? Were you just like in the gym 
No, I was walking from university back home. <laughs> it was a raining day, drizzling, autumn, October, and it was um, very remarkable day because it was uh, close to the um, uh, what's it called um, my grandma died um, three years before. Uh, close days, you know. She died October 13, and exactly these two days before, I was walking, and it's this idea concept came finally. Prior to the show, we were talking about um, the, the the several times in life you're reminded of the balance of like life and death, and how like like almost like life is handing or the handing the baton to death and death hands the baton to life. And yeah. it's, and it's a pendulum. Yeah, yeah, and it comes from ideas, it comes from family, it comes, I mean, it's the, it's the nature, again, of things. Um, I kind of want to go, that moment when you figured it out, in my head, is it like, did you grab all your papers and throw them up in the air and have them all <laughs> floating like those scenes in a movie? No. It's uh, this uh, process of cognition and uh, enlightenment was described many times in history by different people, like Poincaré, for example, in mathematics, uh, Poya in the, in the mathematical discovery, and so on. There are plenty of people of this kind that describe these things in sight, enlightenment how it's happening, but never explain how it's happening because nobody knows this uh, so-called um, latent period of work, what happened there. So hmm. before that, you are accumulating tremendous amount of data, experience, thoughts, process, uh, deep frustrations, and then you you numb dark, black, blackout. <laughs> and then that moment happened. Yeah. From nowhere. And this is what I told you. I yeah. was walking from university back home. It was drilling. My my mood was freaking not good at all. <laughs> uh, and boom. I just run home and start writing. Then go back to my assistant and type it with mistakes and everything like concept, you yeah. know. Somewhere this first paper exists in my files somewhere. I couldn't find it. My wife was the first one who was resisting. I gave you this printed list and she told, okay, this word, Posny method, is wrong. I'm like, she's a linguist. <laughs> it doesn't exist in Russian dictionary. I'm like, I don't give it them. <laughs> <laughs> And then, like, okay, you as a author probably have rights to invent board. I'm like, I do. <laughs> uh, for the people that don't know, um, Pose, uh, can you give like a simple definition of it? Yes. Um, uh, I'm thinking, where's the simplicity? <laughs> because in each simplicity is a complexity. I know. I, I, and I know it's unfair. I have it written down here. 
No, I'm giving an answer. I know. I, I'm only thinking, should I follow just that descriptive and conceptual definition or just tell the story? <laughs> like which yeah, one this is this? Is what we'll do. Because I'll, I'll read what I wrote here mm -hmm. and we'll build off that. All right. Okay. A system derived from key ideal poses the human body goes through during efficient running. Not efficient, any. Any. During, yeah. Not only running, any movement. Yes. Um, key ideal poses the human body goes through during movement and provides a model of working with the laws of nature instead of against them. Mm -hmm. so, so in running, this is achieved by using gravity as a primary force for movement instead of muscular energy. Running is a skill to be mastered and one based upon pulling and falling, not pushing. The overall aim is to keep the general center of mass above the support point, so um, the midfoot, and to pull the other foot from the ground in a vertical line directly beneath the hips. Avoid too long a stride length, as this requires too much muscular effort and also leads to landing on the back of the heels, which interrupts the flow of action. So to point, this is, um, to paint a picture, so a little, a little, a little history of me, I, I grew up playing um, football, played receiver and, and running track. And I'm a very analytical person, so I, I absolutely love this stuff. And so I have my own um, ideas of explaining and, and conceptualizing things. I didn't necessarily know. Maybe it, it was in my subconscious, but even the, the, the circle, the circle part of the logo, I, that really helped me understanding the movement. So if you picture, uh, I don't know, a hula hoop. Maybe if you roll a hula hoop down the street, the contact point is still underneath its um, center of gravity. And that's kind of like the logo. So that contact point, the, the hula hoop where it's touching the ground is essentially where the foot strike is. It's not in, in front of that point. Because if you land in front of that point, that's, that's how you stop. That's a break. <clears throat> yes and no. This is the tricky part. Yes, yes. It's, and, and it certainly is a paradox, the, the complexity and the simplicity of the whole thing. Yeah. And, and about pose, the most important thing is uh, that pose is... a. Uh, expressing our intention on subconscious level or conscious it doesn't matter if we have intention to run that's what pose comes because that intention and the action what we do are they are connected if you want to punch someone it's intention you have no other thing to do as get into the boxing pose if you want to kick ball, you have no any other things. Intention of kicking create necessity to be in the, that pose. But material part of this thing, in each time of this, it's a presence of the body weight. Because without body weight, you cannot do any of this movement. So this is what connection comes. Well, and the body weight is what the 
Yes. The gravity is acting upon. It's correct. B- gravity it's unknown, unperceptible. Could you say mass? I mean is it just No, 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 no. It's okay. different right, thing. Right. Absolutely. In physics it's Okay. There. Mass is not force. It's just a number of matter or magnitude or amount of matter in a given volume of this matter. Uh, it's a scalar thing. It mm. doesn't do anything. Mass is a, a measurement of um, inertia. You see? Yeah. It, okay. Uh, but force, body weight is a force. This is what body weight has a scalar, uh, I mean, <laughs> um, vector direction which we are redirecting. <laughs> that is the beauty of this. Thing. It's constantly moving then, right? It's correct, right. And um, mass is a constant. It doesn't change unless you cut off something from this mass. But body weight is an incredible variety depending on how you're interacting with gravity. And gravity comes to us in our perceptive field in two components, which we are perceiving. Gravity is not perceivable, but components of gravity, which is body weight, uh, and body weight is uh, just as simple as pressure on the point of support. <laughs> That's it, nothing else. And uh, free falling, you know what this means, it's G. So we're perceiving two of these things, and we're operating, it, it's called um, in a um, system of um, governing, like a general, mo- uh, a general system theory. Operational field or frame of um, work is gravity. Not, it's like theoretical point, like mm. imaginary thing. But we are operating with the reality, materials. Reality. It's body weight and free falling. That's it. No matter of what movement you are, you are operating only with these things, and your involvement through these things goes like intention. Me, intermediate guy is a pose. Okay. When you're... And again, another point I want to make sure to, for, for listeners to understand and also to confirm, obviously, with you because this is where I learned it from, but when it comes to um, moving, let's say, we're talking about running, let's just say, to go from where you're... to standing to moving your um, two things, angle and then cadence. So the angle, and what I mean by that, uh, standing and you start to lean forward, which calls not lean. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I understand that concept, so I, I apologize if it slips out that I say lean, because you're falling, there's, there's not a lean, you're falling. Leaning is not movement, it's a stationary position. Leaning it means you are applying your body weight to something. Yeah, you can you can lean without falling. It's correct. So so in this falling case, falling is a process. Yeah, because if you if you're quote unquote leaning and you don't move your feet, you're going to fall and hit your face on the ground. So you're falling forward. And I mean, only if I if I use the word lean, is just because I think that's maybe helps them picture. <laughs> It's a transition point for people could be, but um, essentially it's a wrong terminology, physically speaking. So, but if you're if you're saying, let's, so let's just say um, you're talking about angle, and uh, and the angle 
of the fall, is that measured from the ankle? Vertical. Is it, but is it measured from ankle? Ankle to GCM, hips. So um, what's the uh, GCM? General sense of muscle. Got it. I feel like I should have known that. Uh, so um, ankle to hip, picture that line, and then it starts to move forward. Yeah, the, or backwards, depending on... See, this is what happened. Yeah, see. so he's holding up a pen and bending. Right. So it's so simple, though, but I, that's just that alone, people under, misunderstand the concept. And if you, in, a, in an example of that, look at people, you see them, they're broken at the hip, you know, they're, the angle from... I don't know. Bending at the waist. Yeah. Yes, bending at the waist or flexing at the waist mm -hmm. or as opposed to standing up straight and uh, falling forward. So that is the an important concept here, the angle and then the cadence of um, uh, steps per... Um, uh, per second or per minute. You know. Okay. I think... Um, Two major um, units we're using... Well, yeah, depending on how fast you're going, I guess, right? That's a different um, meaning behind this. But usually it steps I think, uh, per minute, if I remember from the course. It's a generally accepted things. It's uh, yes. And so one, um, to picture it, it, you're not overstriding into a heel strike. You're increasing your cadence. I'm saying increasing your cadence if it's, if you don't do this, like, right? This is a hard thing. It's so simple, but it's so difficult. Hmm. But angle and cadence and um, standing up straight and forefoot striking is the way you run. There's not really, there's no other technique. No, in gravitational field, no. Yeah. So everything else is going against nature. I'm going to say... I'm not, you know what, you might, I'm going to say you're wrong, but I'm, it's not based on your rules or my rules. It's based off of nature. Nature doesn't give a damn about. No. <laughs> nature states, it gives us the way things are. Right. Lawrence Gonzalez in his book, Deep Survival, wrote a very interesting quote. He told, nature doesn't adjust to level of your skill. That's it. This is what you have mm -hmm. to accept. But before that, almost the same quote done by uh, um, Bernard, you know, it's a pathologist, French guy, you know. Uh, he wrote that um, <clears throat> our overpowering over nature is illusion. It's uh, only we are obeying, I'm using just a word mm -hmm. which clear, Obeying nature is laws, but in order to do this good, we're supposed to know the laws of nature. <laughs> you see, we, we need to know laws of nature to obey in the best way. This is what clear point. And then pain is it's a, a penalty. For violating principle yeah. of nature. It's a Chongzu. It's a 6,000 before yeah, it's a, uh, Chinese um, rules. Uh, very Taoist. Yeah. Right? It's, um, or is it Confucianism? Taoism, uh, 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 which is a um, formal philosophy of China, it's a Laoism, you know, it's a yeah. Lao Tzu. Lao Tzu, yeah. It, it, 
it's a in fact that's what that is yes yeah, <laughs> right and um Taoism, it's a more a materialism. Confucius is um, he is uh, his teaching based on ethic. It's not religion behind ethic, and this is what how it's a fusion fusion happened in China. China, uh, China's philosophy based not on the religion; it's uh, ethics and um, traditions. All right, now I'm gonna I'm gonna rapid fire some simple complex questions. Um, when it comes to uh, Poe's method. And again, uh, to, to reiterate, this isn't something that you invented. It's, just, it's almost like you were selected by nature to bring the awareness to us. <laughs> Thank you. You discovered it. Flutter it. <laughs> well, that's how it was. <laughs> I, I'm okay. No one else did it. You did it. No, right. And, and, um, uh, and it's obviously it's growing and growing and growing for a lot of different reasons. The awareness of it is growing. And I think, part, at least for me, part of um, my awareness was being involved in CrossFit. CrossFitters tend to be aware of technique for the most part. Like a challenge with the Olympic lifts, challenge with things, and, and, and realizing how important technique is. Technique, technique, te- technique, you know, um, then consistency, then intensity. And that comes from straight from, uh, it's probably Glassman. So an appreciation for technique. And then having that appreciation for technique, eventually start looking around at different parts of of movement, obviously, which if you're interested in, of course, the general movement uh, theory, your attention goes to running. And that is where I was lucky enough to be exposed to it um, early on. In fact, I think I went to a pose seminar 2009, I think. 2009. Uh, I'm with CrossFit from 2007. Yeah, so right, right around then, and mm-hmm. that one, that one I was attended was um, uh, Brian McKenzie taught it. Yeah, it's. Um, yep. I so, work with Brian McKenzie from 2001. He's become my student at that time. Yep. Um, so again, like very grateful for you and for that because otherwise I would probably have a lot more injuries. Very likely. Yep. But and I and, and I like to um, try to do my best to go through life obeying the laws of nature, <laughs> to be a little bit more at peace instead of resisting it, and then not having, you know, part of my fear is not is missing the awareness of that, and and constantly doing something that's that I think is correct and not. And that's, I, I imagine, one of the biggest hurdles for you is getting past what people think they know. <laughs> right. This endeavor is very gratifying, and, uh, but very challenging. Yes. Like people, so, and, and I think with running, um, like if you ask most people about swimming, like, oh, what's the most important thing when it comes to, to swimming fast or well? And everyone says technique, but when it comes to running, you just go. Right. But in swimming as well, which I found in the same time, it, it, it was kind of... When I found this... Um, Pose method was developed for track and field, not just running, for track and field. It, it was my main concern. But when I found this 
in a matter of weeks, I start doing this in many other events, sport events, like swimming, uh, cross-country ski, speed skating, weightlifting <laughs> is going on. Yeah, it's everywhere. Yes, right. So, in fact, one of the, one of the lines in the book, um, oh, man, I, f- I don't know if it was, either way it's written in the book, and, and somebody had asked what pose, like, what can it do for me? And then it said, uh, everything. Um, how do you feel about treadmills? <laughs> Don't put me <laughs> in a difficult <laughs> position. I'm not against treadmills because, um, because they um, have own space of use. Uh, own um, practical uh, usefulness, but what they are lacking, number one, is on the treadmill you're not falling. That's it. I told my opinion. <laughs> I, look at, I look at treadmills as almost like a separate thing. It's like a, to get your heart rate going. Like it's, an, it's an exercise, but it's not running. It's correct. It's imitation. Yeah, okay. Imitation running. How about on the um, like a woodway curve? It's Is the same thing. It, it's um, making it's closer to the natural, but it's still not falling there. And with a faster speed, you're losing their body weight. Mm, okay, because of it, inertial yeah. component of machine is not handling you because in a natural way when you're running faster you start using more body weight on this machine you start losing this you like start running empty does you does the um and i think i saw this oh man i forget exactly where but the 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 body weight um force is it a force number like how would i measure like the 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 pressure of a, of a foot this is what body weight is it comes as a pressure so pressure okay yes, so that right. pressure mm-hmm. if somebody is there any correlation to the greater that pressure the faster they can go no it's opposite you see yes this, people confuse this thing what is the uh, cause and effect <laughs> pressure is a uh, effect yep. it, that's why it's called ground reaction force not ground pushing force, ground reaction. It um, reflect only acceleration of the GCM, which moving by g- gravity. You see, this is what. Which is a different direction too, right? Yes, if you're right. S- if you're creating a lot of pressure down, but you cannot. This is what. Well, you, you cannot. I know. I know. Bear with me. The the that. Let's just say the concept of you thinking that you can push harder into the ground. No, you cannot. Scott, I'm sorry. No, no, no. no. (laughs) Yeah, no, I want, because I'm lacking. It's illusion uh, exists in in people's mind, you know. This is what they uh, confuse themselves, others in their body. Body doesn't recognize these things. It's illusion. Did you see any animals who are uh, correcting how much pressure they put into these things? No. No. Then, but they are moving much better, much faster than us. So, where's the truth? 
what they know how to put more pressure they're smart yeah That's i'm not saying i'm personally even involved at all i'd have i've never actually thought about it uh i just remember seeing um almost like a, i don't know if it was a sports science thing or yes, something like there are, horse plates there are exist incredible big field of this yeah. disillusional scientist about ground reaction force including in the united states i couldn't talk to them because they want to kill me they say because they build business around these things yeah they're trying to prove something what is not provable like shape ups <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> those seem like they would be great <laughs> no um so um getting people to even um grasp the concept and relearn that the heel striking and the overstriding right don't pay attention too much for this thing unnecessary it doesn't require any attention for this you know we do not pay attention for this it's not important thing at all I, in this case i'm in a simple way of i don't give a damn how you land it's not my intention yeah in teaching Lending is a gravitational <laughs> uh, priority and uh, uh, the property. It's not mine. We should never, ever teach something what does gravity. Okay. Um, when I s first started to um, adopt the way uh, I should be running, a couple of things came up. And this is something that Uh, and to highlight, because I see now, in fact, like two nights ago, I saw outside of a crossroad gym, people were running, and it looked like somebody has was trying to do their best, um, like not not only forefoot striking, but like toe striking, like a ballerina, like almost just running, like pointing the toes and staying, right? She's trying to do it, like trying to do it well, right? So that's a, the, some common mistakes when people are doing it. The intention is there, Like they want to run well. They want they want to run in in the pose uh, method. But what are some early common mistakes people make? Very simple. They confuse even from beginning. We are telling that the main thing in pose method of running is falling, and they confuse it with the landing. They are put emphasis which none in the pose method they put uh, landing as a priority <laughs> landing is landing look, look yeah. this book is yeah. falling do I do this anything with that no yeah. this is the point you know why I have to concern about something what will happen by another most powerful force <laughs> I cannot yeah. substitute this I cannot do anything there so Our intention in pose method is create most efficient body position for falling. This is only we are teaching. Without resisting it. Yeah, right. right. This is what people are uh, strange creatures, you know. They are telling, oh, I would like to run faster. And I'm telling, yeah, it's simple. Just increase the angle of falling. But this is exactly what throws them off. Because actually falling more scary thing and require incredible skill. 
which they don't have. People could not run like Usain Bolt, not because they don't have enough strength. Not at all. Millions and millions of people have these strengths, but they don't have a skill of falling. And repeatedly. So when it comes to, um, uh, again, uh, the angle of falling and the cadence, obviously um, muscles aren't playing a gigantic role here. But, of course. But from a muscle standpoint, what like would you need to increase your um, like hip flexor endurance to be able to no. or hamstring endurance or is it it's yes and no but the first answer is no because uh, in pose method in training what another part what I developed at that time it's much less known because I'm not I wasn't exposing this I work only with elite people and the summer students uh, from um, amateurs. I, I never, I, I had only a couple articles in 90s, in 80s, and never, and plus probably in 90s in the United States, I published a couple articles on training and never again, you know, my son told, don't do this because it's our, um, it's our property. We will give it to people in our way. <laughs> So, so muscles are playing a role of moderators. They are helping you to uh, shape falling pose. This is what and change pose. Muscles do not work as a working horse for running, like moving forward. Yeah. They cannot do this. They're not capable to do this. But they are important in this case. And the movement is what defining point of how much we have to develop strengths of muscles. Um, paradox of these things I recognized a long time ago. In the 60s, when Brumil, it's a student of um, world record holder in high jumping, num three times number one uh, athlete in the world, it was recognized by journalists association, and the student of my uh, um, science supervisor, Professor Dichikov, um, it was an illusion about him that he was a good jumper because he had a high-level squat, like yeah. very heavy. And lots of high jumpers in Soviet Union start doing these heavy squats, and they ruin careers. They didn't understand the concept, what... Professor Dichkov put at that time in very famous um, conceptual approach, he told um, um, our physical conditions or strength condition never should be ahead of our technical skills. Skills should be always number one and ahead of our physical capacities. When it comes to, uh, speaking of articles, I had this up meant to show you earlier I got a hold of. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've seen that lately. <laughs> yeah. I know this article. It was, oh gosh, it was... I'm looking up uh, uh, South Florida <laughs> Sun Sentinel. Fort uh, Lauderdale. <laughs> uh, um, from October 4th, 1994, there's an article in that called uh, Exile of the Romanovs. <laughs> I do remember this journalist lady <laughs> who came to our house. <laughs> she was nice. 
One of them I couldn't find uh, from Russia with love. I'll, I'll give you. I have this I couldn't coffee. I can find that one. Um, then, uh, it's a Jim Woodman's uh, promise for me. He told me, teach me how to run properly. I will run New York City Marathon with no pain in my knees. And I will start promote you. And he was a chief editor and owner of the Florida Sport Magazine. Oh, wow. Perfect. Yeah. I did it. And yeah. he wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> what are some so from there is i feel a little bit of a, a muscular um adaptation to moving correctly and so um like if you're used to your big squishy shoes and then you switch to a more minimalistic shoe it's not like you're going to go immediately go run you know 10 miles no, it's a bs well, which but, people but, believe in <laughs> but is there some type of um um adaptation that kind of goes in the achilles and the soleus and the calves to to be able to absorb the the forefoot striking no it's it's a mistake what people have you know first of all our body perfectly designed for this by evolution yes pain what people have it's a penalty for violating principle of nature my own personal students never had this problem what we have outside teaching by themselves, learning people, it's a deviations from the principles and the proper execution of these things. It's not pose method. It's not like more loading on Achilles and so on. No, it all comes to the incorrect using these things. Yeah. So, well, I guess what I'm saying is, let's just say I haven't run um, in six months. I don't know. Yeah, and then I just were to uh, start jump roping in minimalistic shoes. Yeah, I'm going to feel a little bit of um, uh, probably some soreness yes, in my legs will. from that. Of course, that's what I mean. Like that type of uh, it's an adaptive thing. Yes. It's a, too fast, too soon. Yes. So it's so with that, so when people are learning and adjusting and fixing right. themselves. Um, a reminder to be patient because you still have your body is, has to heal itself to moving well. Right. It's a comparison I could give you easily to understand because if you are having normal food, digestive things, and like eating meat or any some food, and then suddenly deprivation of this, you just get lost in the forest, come yeah. back, and the same amount of food, if you will just jump on it, it will kill you. Yeah. Because body readapt to the level of uh, consumption of things which will be nothing in the forest you know and when you come back to the normal thing look like your body is down you have to give this uh, like inertia over you know so you will never eat after fasting um, same amount of food yeah. what you did before you start from very small things it's a, it's called gradu gradual increasing things yeah. uh, incremental you know it goes to anything so what because there's um, there is also a point where someone is running uh, myself for example and, I'm, and I just go back to um, same thing if I'm doing deadlifts or anything mm -hmm. else that if my technique starts to fail, like do you, do you stop and wait? Do you slow down, or or I guess what I'm saying is like the I, I know the answer is the quality of your movement matters. Always right, and as soon as that quality of movement is gone, now I'm 
disobeying nature and there's probably going to be some pain involved here. Right. Um, but sometimes people will do what they can to increase for times, right? Or a race. You'll sacrifice whatever it takes. Oh, this is the easy answer. And at the same time, you have to uh, build up understanding from the bigger picture, something like that. You, you see, um, what i supposed to say here, N nature doesn't like anything sudden, anything strange. It's like a child, you know. It, a child is very environmental. And you have to create very friendly, very suitable environment everywhere in every single step and this coach teacher should be very much aware of this kind of principles of friendly environment and uh, how to progress in these things and most coaches unfortunately ignorant in these things they want to have fast food and you can't imagine how much lost we have in the sport in the United States, for example. I have this data from uh, from Soviet Union data in science research done. 95% of lost of talented kids who couldn't make it to the adults. 95. And it's the same amount of lost I have myself witnessing when I was working with a junior national team in triathlon in Colorado Springs. We lost from 50 best kids in the United States, age 13 to 17. All, all of them, United States champions in their own groups. <laughs> when I told them and their parents and their coaches, guys, please don't do this, what you're doing. You're training these kids as a endurance sport athletes. They are kids. They don't need these damn things. They need different approach environmentally. Otherwise, you will lose it. What they told me, oh, you're a high jumper. You're track and field. You don't understand our sport. I'm like, oh, all right. You will pay price. Yes. Four years ago, four years later, what happened? From 50 kids, one guy survived only. Do you like this? I yep. don't. Yeah. It could be treasure for the country, you know. And who ruins this? Parents, coaches, and kids. But kids not guilty. They are yeah. idiots, you know, in this case. But most idiots are parents and coaches who wanted fast food. Olympic champions. And 13 years old? Are you kidding me? In triathlon? In endurance sport? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of fast food, <laughs> um, what is, uh, let, me, let me redirect this, walking. Yeah, same, movement. Right. Because I've been toying around a couple, before he got here and for several days since his, in, in weeks and I've been thinking about this and studying and paying attention to, to movement, but even like a f like four foot striking walking or heel striking, walking. I know, uh, but uh, 
I, I have to give you m more perspective on these things, yeah. you know, to understand movement, you know, and the limitations mm. and boundaries uh, which we're dealing with. And this is what people forget. It's like they blindly go like, oh, for a foot. But it's impossible in walking to go for a foot. Why? Because angle of falling is much smaller. It's one thing. The second one, uh, the... Um, Cadence is different, and the body transition to the pose is much slower because of that. So you have to have a longer time transition. I Means heel landing, touching first. It's not heel striking. Like race walkers, if you ever watch these things, pay attention. Okay. They are not landing like this. They are landing like this. You see? They're not landing on the back of the heel they're no. learning like more no. direct on the on like this the squishy center i guess part of the yes it's like that you see this yeah. is yeah, they the don't, difference they don't move legs they are falling still you see yeah. they're still falling but the cadence is another limitation what gives but that makes more sense to me i got all right uh, it now i have a better picture of it because i'm looking at the heel it's not just one big piece. It's where you're landing on, on on the heel and where that heel or where your 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 foot is making contact underneath your center of gravity. Right. It's not breaking breaking thing, you know. Yep. And they cannot land on the forefoot. You understand? Because the time. Yeah, you look like you're prancing too. Yeah, like right. It's like, right. Maybe not the most natural. Right. Um, and this is, and I just want to spit this out, but I feel without without cracking open too many, and we don't have much more time here. But when, when moving forward, I understand the force of gravity is there, right? You also have your body um, weight pressure, but then there's other things that come into play here, and there is, I imagine, some type of um, lateral. Um, I don't know what the right word is because you're sh the body weight is shifting, right? So there's yes, some side-to-side -side movement correct. happening here. Yes. And then uh, the, the changing of the angle of the ground, right, yes. is going to... So you might, if you're, if you're moving this way and there's an angle this way, there's still going to be... I don't yes. know. Yes. These are things that I, I'm like... Yes, it, it, it just the adjustments, yeah. which doesn't <clears throat> change really fundamental things no no yeah downhill uphill on a, on a slope the speed it, it, it's a um, diversity of these things only uh, accommodation of the condition what you're dealing with or the surface but they're not changing fundamental things still pose still falling still <laughs> cadence um, change of support yep. other highlights uh, from this kind of movement is when you're running, um, you know, with pose method, your head isn't moving up and down, right? You see a lot of runners and have a tremendous amount of up and down movement. And then I remember reading an article that they took a marathon runner and added up the amount of distance they had traveled, like up and down, mm -hmm. and it made their marathon like three extra miles of like extra it's distance. A, that it's traveled. a normal thing because um, it's related with it's like, the it's like a like. Like instead of flowing, you're bouncing. Right. Because they're implementing 
um, push off things. You know, you can do push off only until vertical line. And that I- immediately increase um, these bouncing things. You know, <laughs> this oh. is goes like that. You coming these things and you stepping you, vertical line here. Mm-hmm. They coming here to this point, yep. right? Instead, allow just falling. You know, they, what they do? They do um, so called driving with a thigh a swing. And plus, they do extension of the leg. It, it's possible only on the slow running. On the fast running, it's not possible. No. That's why amateurs who are like uh, 12 minutes per mile are having 12 centimeters. <laughs> it's a, almost like six inches, like uh, center of mass fluctuation, vertical. Um, twice less uh, people who run twice fast. <laughs> yeah. And then another fact for you, just for the thinking. I'll give you answer if you want, but I'll give you fact. Mm. Fastest marathoners and faster sprinters have same vertical oscillation. <laughs> Because they need this only for clear the foot from the ground. Yeah, that makes change. sense. That's nothing else. Yeah, that makes sense. Because... I don't know if, if if me using these words makes sense to you, but like it's almost like soft feet, like you're kissing the ground. You're not stomping it. No. Right? You are, as a juggler, catching your body weight and then unweighing. Yeah. It's correct. Yeah. That's why a guy who runs twice faster, you almost do not hear him slapping on the ground, but the guy who is twice slow <laughs> you him hear him yeah, yeah. mile away <laughs> yep yep um does rhythm of breathing come into this breathing is evolutionary is a, a subordinated mechanism it's a serving your movement you cannot develop breathing for world record marathon running by running a four hours marathon Am I clear? Mm-hmm. Okay. This is what the uh, primary thing. Your breathing comes together with movement, not opposite. You cannot develop breathing for uh, faster running with slow running. Yeah. It's the same goes to any physiological systems. And this is what confusing point for most people. They're thinking, oh, we will develop economy by slow running. <laughs> no, you're not. No. no. The, I, I, I kind of feel um, that I naturally will exhale where, I guess you could say, like my left foot. No, it's well, a different way. Maybe it's not my left. Let, oh. me, let, me see, let me just, in my head, let me, let me um, spit out. So when my foot is making, I guess, at some point during the, The, the stride where my foot is on the ground. Mm-hmm. There, I feel like there is some um, uh, pressure right down. It's not only on your leg. No, no, right the whole, now, no, no, the whole. It's a pressure goes to your lungs as well. Yes, and in when that pressure is there is when <sighs> I use the exhale because I'm like, yeah. if pressure is there, why am I going to fight it? I'm going to work with it, right? Right. But 
I run with a whole bunch of people and I can hear them breathing and their their breathing is against nature. Yes, because they are counting breathing um, not related with their yeah. movement. Yeah, it's just gravity and the same thing in CrossFit and a lot of movements, you, you, you can use it. I don't want to say, use it to your advantage the best that you can. All <laughs> right. Like, Exhale. And then when you unweighing, yeah, it's as simple as that, <laughs> right? So more load, more you consume. Yeah. Like, Same thing on a, 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 a an air squat. Yes, of when I'm going down, and uh, there's a moment where I'm, I don't know what the correct terminology is, but I know there's force being acted upon me at the bottom of the squat. Right, you have to freeze. That. Nothing action should happen at this point. Do you understand? Because yeah. your body should be rigid, yeah, in, I including like, function of breathing as well. Yeah. But so that's you're usually, holding. And there's some sort of rebound, I guess, if if that's the correct term. In boxing. Like. Yeah, you, you ex yes, exactly. And all that stuff. Okay. And in through life and everything. Yeah. Being still, uh, uh, what else? Um, standing up. Your arms aren't your arms aren't creating the motion. They're no, there, just they balance. nice and tight. I, I always I don't know. I almost picture like I'm like almost like playing a little snare drum or something with my hands mm, in the front. Think, think, think. I love this stuff, and I could talk to you forever. By the way, <laughs> Thank you. and I know your, your time is limited, and we gotta you know um, powder up your nose for some photos here. All right. Um, again, I really want to thank you for your time. And Thank your attention. These things, me. these are things that are limited, and you don't get them back. All right. So I, I, I definitely appreciate it, um, the time, and I hope um, we. This is something that can be continued, because again, lots to talk about. It would we, be my pleasure. Yeah, we still have a lot of force, uh, a lot of philosophy, a lot again force to talk about, <laughs> uh, and obviously how. How pressure into the ground is related to speed. <laughs> uh, even the uh, uh, trap bar deadlifts and how that's directly related to speed. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a curve. Maybe next time I will show you um, strengths, height, uh, reflecting the curve, this exponential thing, you know, which allows you to see in which area you could be more advanced, like in high jumping, in sprint, or weightlifting. Have you, uh, I, real quick, have you like figured out, I know we have uh, Usain Bolt, and I know you've calculated his like ideal or possible um, 100 meter times. Do you think his size and stature is the ideal size for like a, a a sprinter or do you think maybe we'll see someone like six foot ten that yes it's possible yeah. um, there's no limitation unless you see stature should be uh, correlated with his ability to use this stature. true yeah you could be seven foot three it's correct i would prefer uh, in the future for example have a guy who is seven feet but with capacity to use this seven feet yep I calculated what Usain Bolt's um, anatomical structure and in a given cadence and angle of falling, what he'd done. 
uh, for the hundred. Yeah. What it, he could do, like in theory. Yeah. It's a six, six seven four. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On the button. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, I cheated. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I've listened to a bunch of your interviews. So, um, lucky for me, I still have those because it's fascinating. I love listening to you speak. Um, and again, you talked about his angle being, it was like 21.4. But uh, nature gives us 22.5 maximum. Stingy nature. Uh, to, nothing in this world, limitless. World is a frame, and you're living inside this frame. Uh, James Gibson uh, called it, we are molded by the world living in. That's it. It's our frame. It's a nesting. We cannot exceed this. Our potential is a potential of the environment, not us. <laughs> um, last thing, I, I wrote it down because uh, we talked about it earlier. Um, and again, I'm trying to make this super quick, like 30 seconds, but where does age come in when it comes to training pose? <laughs> do, you, do you control volume or, do you, or intensity? Like how's that? How's that how, how have you found that to work? Uh, you have to uh, keep boundary. Always, like, you have to always touch boundary beyond of what you think it's possible right now, you know? This is what only could hold you in um, the level what you want to be, you know? It, it's, anyway, it's, it goes degradation, you know? Biological thing is inevitable. It will happen. But to keep yourself on that uh, attachment to the world, you have to always grab this level of uh, perception, yeah. top what is possible for you now, you know. And this is what keeps you feeling young, not aging. Yes. Big difference. Right. Uh, you have a lot of books out there. Uh, you have posemethod.com. There's also um, nicholasromanoff.com. Mm -hmm. Best place to get your books? Uh, Amazon. It's uh, the most volume we sell in um, English-speaking world is uh, Amazon. In China, it's different. In China, we sold almost the same amount of all time we sold in the Western world. Yeah. In China, we sold the same amount of, and even more for probably about five years. Wow. Uh, also, you have a, um, a ton of videos on uh, yeah, Pose Method. About 500 videos. Yeah, which I think you're probably going to go work on right now, some more. <laughs> yeah, we're doing in YouTube. Um, I, I recommend jumping on here. The book that, I, that we, we've been talking about, again, is called To Nick with Love and Svetlana yeah, Romanov. Yeah. I mean, has it's expanded on these stories and 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 other stories in there that that um, organically I didn't want to like just drive into just for the sake of it. Um, but uh, from my standpoint, a lot of love for for you, your family, and your wife. Um, myself, just reading that book, there there was some pretty heavy um, stuff in there that. Uh, just made me completely start crying and bawling into. Um, and 
and and along those lines um i recommend it for anyone it doesn't necessarily have to be for for running but if you're if you like a good human story good family story which is i think this is it's a big uh family book um there's a lot of stuff in there for for a lot of people and if you're interested in the post stuff um and maybe offline we'll talk about that stuff i didn't really want to get into it here you know all right um again uh nothing but love um title of your most recent book um it's a running revolution it's a, it's very simple book it was intention yeah <laughs> it was from publishing house they wanted for the general population i hated this book from beginning but uh, all my family persuaded me to do it <laughs> well you think about it this way what's what is your intention and goal and there's other ways and tactics to get there yeah from one side i would like to extend for any kind of population of people of different kind this knowledge that it will be beneficial for them which i have very good proof yeah. around the world without any doubt yeah from olympic level to the amateurs and uh, i would recommend the, the, the book which i do like it's a triathlon book um, triathlon techniques post method where i did philosophical part science part <laughs> good uh, a couple of things to point out uh, also pose method on instagram and uh dr nicholas romanoff mm -hmm. is also on instagram yes right uh, yeah, I know. It goes without saying. I'm it's, not public figure much, you yeah. know. The, even I w was forcing all the time by my family be more like uh, on the front page. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm, in spite of my social good skill of communication, I am not good with uh, uh, this um, internet things, you know. Yeah. So I'm always forcing myself to put any posts on Instagram or Facebook not myself <laughs> yes yeah a little bit of advice for that just um if you feel something um something comes up on my like something you want to articulate to somebody that's when you do it or you type it in little notes and save it and post it at some point in time don't just post a post this is what so far i did yeah ah, good. I, I am more impulsive in this yeah. case and uh, as a a uh, dear friend of mine and colleague, uh, Dr. Uh, Dalham, George Dalham, former head coach of USA Triathlon team, who invited me to work with him a long time ago. Uh, he was watching my presentation in different places, and he told, oh, I understood. You are an intuitive teacher. You never do presentation at the same rate, same the structure, I never saw anything <laughs> I told, but it's a different public, yeah. it's a different audience. How the hell I could do this the same thing for them? <laughs> uh, obeying nature. Right. I, I, I'm coming to the audience and look at them and, all right, these guys are, need only this level. Yeah. <laughs> And there are more jokes, more like laughing about the, anything, but a little bit pause. Yeah, yeah. This is what they came to. 
because they're interested more in me rather than in pose. And I'm giving them that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, show stuff at, not at, or at the Sisu Way and at one Scott McGee on Instagram and the sisuway.com. Again, this is my first episode in like four months, I think. Um, that has been uh, completely on purpose and with intention. So thank you for bringing me out of my summertime retirement. I appreciate this very much. It's long awaiting talk about something what is valuable for me and you came up with all things which I want to express and bring up. Well, good. It, it, again, um, and I think we talked about it, not trying to be a, a, an echo podcast here, but if you, you want to listen to um, more talk by uh, Dr. R on Pose, just put his name in the podcast search engine because you've done a bunch of podcasts on related to it. In fact, well, a pretty fascinating one I listened to is with you and um, uh, Richard Diaz, mm. who's you know who has a as a, a running and training mindset. Um, so those podcasts are there. So I, I encourage you guys to listen to this one, obviously, and then also to to carry on your education in this because Pose Method trans. Um, goes beyond running. It goes into every part of your life. My best wishes to everyone who is into this podcast and thank you very much for Scott for giving me this lovely opportunity to get to know him <laughs> and express myself. Thank you. And uh, thank you guys for listening. If you like the podcast, please um, go and give it a review on iTunes. Uh, if you're interested in some of the the, frame, uh, the pictures or frames and stuff, that's on the website as well. Just click on the merch button there. Um, again, thank you for listening. And remember, health is wealth, vulnerability is strength, and strength is, the, is a choice. You are the master of your fate. You are the captain of your soul. So get up strong, help others get up strong, and be unconquerable. I'm Scott McGee, and this is The Sisu Way.